0: the world today 316 million Christians at least 360 million Christians share our faith but not our freedom that's one in seven Christians globally Bays all around this world today daring to follow Jesus no matter the cost and if today I'm really hoping that your faith will be stirred you'll be provoked you'll be challenged And if your your faith is strengthened by hearing the stories of brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, I'd love you to stay connected. I'd love you to be, be praying, be praying for the persecuted church. And you can do that really by signing up to get a monthly email or go on social media, follow us at Open Doors UK, where we send out all the latest prayer requests, urgent prayer needs, and I always have to say, praise points. Because God is at work in the midst of the danger and difficulty in darkness. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It is a failing race, ultimately, to destroy God's church. But in this process, we want to seek to build it and to grow it. And we get to, to play our part in that. So come and see me at the end and I'll tell you how you can sign up for that. And maybe some of you would like to give. I know Welcome has a long history of connection and partnership with Open Doors, which is fantastic. But you know... Seven pounds can buy a Bible for someone like Bay. In fact, she got a Bible for Open Door Secret partners working there in China. You could give someone like Bay a Bible, strengthen their faith, help them to go and do their bit in growing God's church in the most dangerous places. So if you want to do that, if you want to help strengthen the church globally, the persecuted church, through a financial way, come and see me and I'll uh, tell you what to do. And as a thank you, or even if you want to come and explore more, Come and get this book, God Smuggler. I read it when I was about 18. Anyone else read it? Yes, there's a smattering, but a lot of you haven't. And it's an incredible book. It shares the story of Brother Andrew, the founder of Open Doors, and just a story of risk and adventure of faith with God. So uh, we, we love to share that book. So come and see me at the end. Right. Let's, uh right. We're going to just open the Bible up a little bit together and also just hear more stories of God at work around the world. This week, though, was a big week for the Queen, wasn't it? It was her birthday. In fact, it's a big year for the Queen. I mean, we all love the Queen, don't we? I mean, this is, this is a remarkable woman who's served our country, what, for 70 years. She is now the longest reigning British monarch, isn't she? And uh, we get an extra bank holiday in the process, which I think is a brilliant thing. I think we're all glad of that, a lot of us. Now, um, did anyone actually ever watch the Queen's coronation way back in 1953? Yes, I knew. I knew there might be a few of you. But do you know what? Incredibly, I can't get over this. Incredibly, 27 million of you tuned in to watch the Queen's coronation back in 1953. Incredible. For the rest of us, go on YouTube and you can see see the bits of it. But we in this country, we do the pomp and ceremony really well, don't we? We know how to do that. And the service, the coronation, was full of that. It was this very much... Awe-filled, almost holy moments, And um, it was the moment when it was announced to the world, the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. You know, she has a crown that's placed on her head, and apparently it's worth 3.6 million pounds. But the moment she was anointed was the most sacred part of that ceremony. She was set apart to rule. Anointed. Now, I'd like to read some wo- words from Luke chapter 4 where this is Jesus' moment of being anointed, where Jesus announces himself publicly that he is the one set apart, anointed to rule, the Messiah, the King, the Christ. So if you have a Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. and we're going to read from verse 16 to verse 20. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The contrast between the queen's coronation and Jesus's is absolutely huge. Can't get a polar opposite really. No coronation in one of the world's finest churches. No TV coverage. All you have is Jesus in his hometown, Nazareth. It's a sleepy backwater town. It's the butt of jokes. If Bex was here, it would be like Swindon, okay? It's the, it's the, it's the place where everyone laughed at. Here's Jesus, and he's in the synagogue, and he reads from Isaiah 61, written 800 years previously. This prophet had a vision of the Spirit of God being poured out on God's chosen servant, the Anointed One, We've been celebrating the reign of the Queen. 70 years. That's remarkable, isn't it? But as Christians, we have a king who is the king of the ages. A king who has an everlasting kingdom. A reign that will go on and on into eternity. This moment in the synagogue in Nazareth is like a mic drop moment. Because Jesus is saying, I'm that chosen one. I'm the anointed one. I'm that king. There was silence in the room. And Jesus is saying, now the kingdom of God is fully at hand. Obviously, the rest of Luke's gospel, and we're travelling through Luke's gospel as a church, aren't we? And I'm sure coming back to that very, very soon. The, the rest of the gospel is really Jesus living out the beginning of the kingdom. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is here. And he, he enacts out what he just said, that he has come to proclaim good news to the poor, to those spiritually and morally bankrupt and broken and those who physically literally are poor and the least and the marginalised and on the edge. What do we have with Jesus? We have freedom and forgiveness and offer, the year of the Lord's Jubilee. And some of us here today, we've accepted that gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness and freedom on offer, the chance to live your best life in in the here and now and with the hope of what eternity will bring. This moment when Jesus ushered in the kingdom or announced it, that mic drop moment, was the moment that all creation had been waiting for. It was what the world has been longing for. The beginning of the renewal and restoration of all things. And it's so good having Andy here today. So good to think about open doors and this wider perspective of the church. Because this is an invitation for all, isn't it? The renewal and restoration of all things is for all people everywhere. Revelation reminds us that every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be represented in heaven. And that's what we're building towards, building towards this amazing thing called the church, the bride of Christ. You know, in the dirt and the dust and the rubble and brokenness of our world and our lives, King Jesus practices resurrection, restoring, renewing. He's come to fix the world. He's come to fix us He's come to fix those that live in Afghanistan, North Korea, Nigeria, Sudan, the Arabian Peninsula, all over the world. And today, if you're not yet a Christian, he's come to fix you. And that is incredible good news. That's why this gospel needs to be proclaimed. It literally is good news. Sam's got a clip or a picture of me and a couple of my colleagues. About a month ago, I was in northern Iraq. And uh, I got to see have a front row seat, if you like, of what God's doing in one of the toughest places on earth. It's number 14 on what we call the Open Doors World Watch list, the list that ranks the most dangerous places to be a Christian. Afghanistan tops that list. North Korea is number two. And really the top 10 countries are are some of the most dangerous places. Thankfully we can get into Iraq. But it's really hard to be a Christian there. There is something like only 150,000 Christians left in what you think is the cradle of Christianity. I was wandering around the place, and this picture is taken just above a village called Alkosh. The prophet Nahum lived in Al-Kosh, and I was like, wow, this is like Bible land territory. This is bringing it all alive for me. Incredible to think, in the cradle of Christianity, the church looks like it's disappearing and dwindling. I met one bishop that said to me, though, and this is the great faith that they have, the conviction that God will keep his promises, that the kingdom of God will continue to break out. He said, reality logic says that the church will disappear, but the spirit of God says otherwise. Isn't that great? Reality logic says the church will disappear, but the spirit of God says otherwise. Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. The work of resurrection and renewal is just getting started. But we met, a, we met this guy called Bishop Daniel, who was meant to come to Spring Harvest and made my life a lot busier over the last couple of weeks because he didn't come or couldn't come, unfortunately, for various reasons. But he is incredible, and he's one of the church leaders that we partner with. We're bringing hope to these places. And um, he told us a story of a girl, and in a moment, we're going to play her video. She's twen- she was 20 years old, and only two months ago, she became a Christian. She was from a Muslim family. And as you can imagine, that was going to make life difficult for her. Her family were like a really extreme Muslim Muslim family. And um, she went to secret church services. She secretly had a Bible. And she was growing in her faith. And here in this passage in Luke 4, it talks about proclaiming the good news, doesn't it, to the poor. Proclamation really means like that public declaration, public statement of faith. And do you know what? The only way that she could let the world know that she was a Christian by jumping on TikTok and sharing a 20 second video and you might think well that was a bit unwise to do so because sadly in the aftermath of that her brother her 17 year old brother and her uncle stabbed her to death the cost of following jesus for many believers around the world means that they're paying a price for their lives their freedom and their lives sam can you just play that video for me this is her this is what she posted or oh, not that one sorry lyrics, as he finds it, the lyrics she, she wrote, Christ, the light of my life, the source of my love, my Lord, I long to see your holy face. Shocking, isn't it? Lost her life killed by her own family. This is why persecuted Christians need to know they have family around the world. Not just family, that's biology, is it? It's family that stretches across the time zones and nations, and it's a precious gift that we're part of the body of Christ, the family of God that stretches, yeah, stretches across the cultures in the world. Our family around the world really need us. Maria, she found forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. She found that there was only one who could fix her brokenness and her pain. That was the Lord Jesus. As Christians, we talk about the good news, be it, you know, the gospel, and it really is the good news, and it was good news for Maria, so much so, in the end, she gave her life for it, and what tests me in, in, in death, and maybe we should be praying for her brother and her uncle and the rest of her family, that they would encounter Jesus themselves. But as Christians, we have this great hope, don't we? And he's Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us forgiveness and freedom. So in this passage in Luke four, from the moment on, um, Jesus is—we get a glimpse of the, the kingdom of God breaking out in the life of Jesus, don't we? And then, of course, um, the the kingdom of or the success or the victory of the kingdom of heaven was secured on the cross when Jesus died and rose again. It just meant that finally, forgiveness and freedom was fully complete, fully complete. The death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't just an impressive party trick, was it? It was was the first fruits, if you like, of this resurrection power, of the new creation, recreation. And Jesus is the forerunner in that for us in this kingdom vision. And one day, the work of the kingdom, the forgiveness and freedom that's on offer. Will be fully complete. And I love those words in Revelation 21, where we're told how it's all going to end or how it's all going to fully begin, I suppose, when we have a fixed world, a world where there's no more wrong, no more injustice, no more tears, no more suffering. Everything will be made right. But in the here and now, in the here and now, in the present, until that moment of Revelation 21, Jesus is still at work. The resurrection power of Jesus, the work of the renewal of all things, is at work. And our lives are a testimony to that, aren't they? Our lives, Maria's testimony, is a testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus, that there is only one who can fix us, renew us, and it's encountering Jesus through that. So uh, we've heard a bit about the kingdom, and I think what a remarkable thing to be a part of. And we see it being outworked and, and Jesus working to, to complete, complete the work that he was set, he set out to do. But the great thing is that he wants us to be part of that, to be partners, to be agents in the, this restoration, fixing project that he's about. So the word anointed actually has a lot to do with um, being set apart. And reading. This verse, again, I'm just going to read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. That verse is relevant to you if you're a Christian here today. Because God has anointed you. He set you apart. The term Christian essentially means in Christ once. In Christ once. Actually, the the term Christian was first coined by the Romans. You can read it in Acts. And it was a term of derision, of mockery, of insult. And yet for those first Christians and Christians around the world today, it is a badge of honour, isn't it? A badge of honour. It's a big challenge to us to actually own that and be, be bold in, in announcing and declaring, I'm a Christian and in Christ one. So you're anointed if you're a Christian. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is on you, set you apart, anointed you for, for a purpose, and that is to share in this Kingdom work. So Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. And uh, in, in that, he didn't quote all of it, but in that passage, I'm just going to read a few verses. It talks about those who've been restored, those who've realized their brokenness and their need. So I'll just read you a few verses. So bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Oaks of Righteousness, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus today, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. You're part of the church, you, me, us. We're the ones who realise our brokenness our need of Jesus, the fragility of life, and know we need a saviour. And we get invited into this remarkable story of building the kingdom of God. It's not just for a select few, it's all of us. We're all in if we know and love the Lord Jesus, if Christ is in us. You know, Jesus looks at the mess, the brokenness, the depression, the suffering, the injustice in our world. He sees potential. He sees that his spirit can breathe new life, that people can encounter him. And this isn't just a future task. This is now. This is the present. This work of renewal and restoration for our world. We get to play a part in it. Now, I think we need two things to do this, to kind of live out this vision of Luke 4. I think we need courage and we need compassion. We need courage and we need compassion. And I see this lived out time and time again in the persecuted church. We need courage and compassion. To proclaim the good news requires a little bit of guts and courage, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it's pretty scary to, first of all, let let people know you're a Christian. It's even scarier to kind of actually maybe share the gospel with them. Now, we live in a culture which is, you know, It's council culture. It just feels like it's getting harder to be a Christian, doesn't it? We're almost like having to live our faith on mute at times. Or is that fear? You know, when I went to school, I mean, my dad came in and did assemblies, and he was a church leader. So people knew I was a Christian. It was quite obvious, and it was a little bit embarrassing, but I kind of got over that. And uh, so I kind of, you know, people knew I was a Christian. I had to own my faith from quite a young age. But I appreciate it's really tough in a school environment in a workplace environment that seems so alien to actually be bold but we need courage we need courage we need conviction yeah. to actually do that because we live in a world that's desperate you know people in afghanistan and north korea and you know, those kind of places they need to hear the gospel people in whitney need to hear the gospel as well your your classmates your schoolmates your peers your work colleagues they need to know about jesus too so we need courage. We need to be bold. Bishop Daniel, who I met on the Nineveh Plains just a few weeks back, he said to me, he said, you know, um, the worst that's happened has happened. It's made us bolder. I'm ready to die for Jesus. Now, I'm probably going to embarrass Noah here, but a few weeks back, we were having a little chat in the car, and uh, Noah's a bit of a thinker, really, Um, sort of run run rings around me, but he was sort of saying, he's like, mum, you know, I think it's easier in the persecuted church because it's so black and white. Like, you're either all in or you're not. I might be paraphrasing slightly, but that's kind of what he said. And you know what? I think persecution is a simplifying force because everything gets stripped away. You have those distractions taken away. And ultimately, you're left with knowing whether your faith is the real deal, whether it's authentic or not, and whether you really are all in. And this is why we need the persecuted church, because they show us, like, what faith looks like when the rubber hits the road. And that when everything is stripped away, you're just left with you and Jesus. And you really do... Need him, and so you share him, whatever, whatever the cost. So, I just want to encourage you: let's be people of courage. We need courage to proclaim the good news. I once met a little lady called Hey Woo from North Korea, and some of you met her as well. And uh, she did a little bit of secret church planting in North Korea, in a prison camp in North Korea, which meant it was even more dangerous. If she had been found, she would have been killed on the spot. But they met in the toilets the safest place in the prison camp to meet. And that's where they'd do church, just steal a few minutes of time together, worship in whispers or complete silence. She would share, you know, verses of scripture that she knew by heart. She didn't have a physical Bible with her. Later on, I said to her, I said, hey, Will, you're really brave. She said, I'm not brave, Emma. It's Jesus that makes me brave. It's Jesus that makes me brave. So maybe one of the things you can pray for today, Jesus, give me courage. Jesus, make me brave. Secondly, we need compassion. We need compassion. Wasn't it great seeing Evie up on the stage? We need compassion. Do the things, you know, where we see a need, let's respond. Mm -hmm. And as we usher in the kingdom of heaven, we proclaim the good news, great news for the spiritually broken and the poor in spirit. We also need to be practical with our faith, don't we? Practical with our faith. And that's what really struck me recently when I went to Iraq, just how how almost like loving people and generosity and kindness earn the right to speak. I met a man who was a secret believer. He's now a pastor called Pastor Ali. Great story of how he came to faith. He used to be part of an extremist group, came to faith, found Jesus in just remarkable ways. And now he's a leader. But because of that decision to follow Jesus, his family disowned him. The, the local, you know, mullah and imams, you know, Pretty much castigated him and he became really ostracized and marginalized in his community but incredibly during covid this this church continued to love their community the least and the lost around them so much so that this mullah who years and years ago you know decried this sky alley basically shared with everyone in their community this man is is a is, is better than any muslim i know isn't that amazing and talked about the fact that their church was just an amazing gift to their community, loving the least and the lost around them. You know, we need to be bold. We need to have conviction. We need to have courage. But we also need to have compassion. Because people watch how we live. They watch what we do. And they really want to see something different in us, don't they? We need to see compassion. Let's just read those verses again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for the kingdom of God. We thank you that we see it in part, and one day it will be fully complete, fully reigning. And we thank you so much for the gift of knowing Jesus. And for anyone here today who isn't yet an in Christ one, I just pray that you would uh, maybe take that opportunity today to invite Jesus into your life, to fully become part of a new family, become part of the kingdom of heaven, and let the king rule in you. Let the King have his way in your life and lead you and guide you and fix you and renew you and restore you. Take away your brokenness and your shame and disgrace and give you grace and love and hope like you've never experienced before. And maybe others of us, we long to be a bit braver. We need to have a bit more courage. And God, you've said in this in in, in this passage, in this in your word, that you anoint us, you've set us apart. The same spirit in Jesus is in us and so we ask God that you'd help us, you'd give us the courage to be brave. Maybe it's a simple prayer like, hey woo, Jesus make me brave. Others of us, perhaps we need a bit more compassion, a compassion to respond to needs around us but also to respond to the needs of the global church or the needs of mission around the world and we just pray that you would, you would just stir our hearts, that we would be nudged today, prompted to, to respond, to partner with what you're doing in this world, God. And we thank you. We thank you for setting us apart. We thank you for, for your work, God, in, in this world. And we thank you that one day, every wrong will be made right, that there'll be no more suffering, no more persecution, no more tears, no more death. And we thank you that in you we find fullness of life. Amen. The band are going to come up and uh, are going to sing a final song together and look forward to chatting to you um, after the end of the service or over lunch as well.